and welcome to the Qubit Guy podcast, brought to you by Classic, the quantum algorithm design company. My name is Yuval, and my guest today is Alex Challens, CEO of the Quantum Daily. Alex and I talk about investment opportunities in the quantum computing market, results from surveys his company conducted, and much more. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please let us know how we did by emailing hello at classic.io. That's hello at classiq.io. Hello, Alex, and thanks for joining me today. Nice to speak to you again, Yaval. So who are you and what do you do? So my name is Alex Challens. I'm the uh, CEO of the Quantum Daily. Um, effectively, uh, I run a team of, I think, about 11 people now who um, are really focused on providing news, information, and data on the quantum technology market. Um, my my background is I'm not a scientist. I don't have a PhD. I'm probably the least educated person in quantum. Um, but um, what I used to do is work in the in the investment space. So you know I was uh, for a number of years in the investment bank and then working with a, a private equity firm in London. Uh, so really, what I have focused on is the investment side of uh, technology industries. Um, I, I got really excited by quantum. I think it's a quite common story that people are captivated by some of the um, spooky nature of, uh, you know, quantum effects. And, you know, just went really deep on the topic and saw that there really wasn't that much information. This was maybe two years ago um, that, you know, struck the right balance between science and commercial understanding. And so, you know, with my business partner, Evan, we decided to set up the, the Quantum Daily and it's just been fantastic how it's uh, grown since then. And, you know, the conversations like the one I'm having today, it's enabled um, for me. How large is the community? I mean, I think that's the question that everyone is asking. How large is the market and how, how many people in the world are interested in quantum beyond just the you know, popular science aspects? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I mean, I mean, the, the kind of proxies that we have is, you know, we're seeing, you know, 70,000 people a month sometimes looking at our, our website. Um, and, you know, there are probably, what's it, about 400 companies who are making something to go into a quantum technology, whether it's a computer or a sensor. Um, and at the end and the other end of the market, which is the users, um, I think we've written down about three to 400 as well who are interested. So adding all that together with the various people within those companies, within those divisions, you know, it's, 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 you know, could be in the hundreds of thousands, but, you know, with that said, we there's quite a few more people than that on our planet. So I think the, you know, the general awareness of quantum, I'm sure you've, sat at dinner tables when everyone's going, what are you doing? What are you working in? Can you explain that? I think it's it's still under the radar. What can you tell me about the growth of the market? So, I mean, you're tracking users or, or views or companies. How does that compare to, say, a year ago? Um, I think anyone who tells you that they know the precise growth rate of the quantum market is probably fibbing. Um, so it, it's it's really hard to to ascertain. So you know I I bang on about it, but you know market sizes are effectively the summation of of revenue at a current point in time, and really the companies that are making material revenue are 
um, those who are the suppliers to the quantum technology industry, whether you're selling fridges, whether you're selling software, if you're selling, um, you know, wiring and hardware, those are really the people who are making material sustainable revenue at the moment. So when you talk to these hardware suppliers, what you're hearing is between 20 to 30% annual growth rates, compounded annual growth rates, which having come from the investment world where we got excited about two to 4% is absolutely remarkable. Um, it's driven by a number of factors. Firstly, you've got this wall of money that's coming from governments, right? And I think Aratheli at Kirika and I looked at this and we came up as about 25, 30 billion of capital, depending on how you count China. That is providing this backstop of funding for all these uh, companies. So, you know, there's lots of startups that are coming, getting this early stage funding out of the labs. You've then got this increasing interest in um, in quantum from venture capitalists. So, I think over I think this year we had 2.4 billion so far. Where are we in October? Uh, flowing into the venture in, into the quantum technology space, which is I think more than all other years combined over the last 10 years. So, it's very hard to give you a precise number. But what I can say is this is a very rapidly growing industry where people are, are very excited about it. If we continue just to, on the path of market sizing and, and trends, I know that you guys run your own surveys from time to time to your distribution list. What can you share with us about some of your recent findings? What do you find that's particularly interesting that was particularly surprising to you, for instance? Hmm. I think the first thing that stood out, I think 80% of people said that their knowledge of the quantum technology market size simply wasn't good enough, um, which is precisely why we went and did our own research um, anyway. Um, I would also say that there was a reasonably low understanding of what a market size was. So just, you know, demarcating between flows of capital, government funding and actual revenue is important. Um, and I think the other thing is making, you know, we realize it's actually a really hard thing to do. So the report we put out was uh, quantum computing as a service. And the reason we chose that market was there's actually robust metrics you could use. Number one is that some of the cloud computing suppliers like Amazon and Azure had put out pricing information. Um, and then number two, we were able to roughly guess the utilization of a quantum computer based on the number of hours and the kind of uptime of a superconducting unit. So you can't, you know, how much you can actually run it for during a day, um, which gave us um, some, some steer of what the market could look like today versus in the next 10 years based on some, you know, pretty uh, wide ranging assumptions. Um, but when we looked into that, we were kind of thinking, okay, so the the infrastructure players are going to be provide, you know, making X billion of uh, revenue by 2025. But is that really the case? Who's going to be making the money in this market? Is it going to be the people who are providing the underlying access to quantum computing? Is it going to be the companies providing the quantum computers themselves? Or is it going to be the companies, for example, like Classic, who are providing the, the application layers and the, um, the software 
and the you know the translators for the quantum computers? I think the answer is everyone, but it's quite difficult to disaggregate which ones are going to do well and who you know which which are going to be growing more rapidly. So, unfortunately, the answer was it's a really complex problem, um, which we're st all still kind of working through. I know Bob, who you spoke to last week, did a great study uh, with QEDC around getting uh, survey level information. Um, and, you know, I think he was very open about it that, you know, you've got to be really careful around how you read that data. Um, but, you know, let's 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 see what we can find out as um, we see some of these public companies having to publish results around revenue and, and profits. To me, the three areas that you mentioned are interconnected. I mean, it's great that the cloud providers can make money and the uh, hardware providers and the software providers, but hardware is useless without software. And if you can't access the hardware on a cloud or some other fashion, then it doesn't, it doesn't matter either. Um, I, I do want to ask you to put on your investor hat. I mean, I'm not asking for stock picks, but what would you think that are underserved or underinvested areas in quantum right now? Yeah, I mean, I'd be running my own venture capital fund if uh, if I knew the, the best answer to that. Um, the it, it's 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 a challenge. Um, where I have been particularly interested, and this has become a, because I come from a private equity rather than a venture capital space, is where there are companies that will do well irrespective of the shape of the market. So, at the moment, most of the capital has been from venture companies choosing a quantum hardware company and investing heavily in one qubit implementation. So you've seen big funding rounds for the likes of PsyQuantum, IonQ, which is through SPAC, and then yesterday, Rigetti announced the, uh, the SPAC. Um, these are not bad investments. They're probably very good investments, but they're very high risk, in my opinion. So you need to be reasonably sure that you the qubits implementation that you are backing otherwise has enough ip in its you know portfolio or will survive concurrently with other qubit implementations or will be the leading one that is not a play that i feel massively comfortable with so where i've been particularly more uh, more interested is in companies which are providing some missing glue or ingredient so whether it's providing the connectivity between the, the end user and the hardware, translating user-based problems into something that can be implemented, that will always have, have a place. Um, there will, there's pieces where companies are focused on one aspect of a quantum computer. So for example, most computers are going to have some degree of cooling. So those companies who can do well in the cooling space, but also be agnostic to whether it's a, a photonic chip or whether it's a superconducting or spin chip are going to do well. Um, the final point I'd make is more of a kind of operational one is you need to be backing teams that can be very flexible. This market is changing very quickly. Um, you know, next month we could have a new paper comes out which shows actually this is a much better way of doing error correction. And that will change the the landscape. So we just need to, I think, the teams that can look at the how these markets are emerging, 
and jump on things in a rapid way without burning through huge amounts of cash are going to do well. Do you see a shakeout coming in the hardware in the next two years or so? That are, Do you think there are too many hardware providers than the market can truly sustain? I mean, obviously, we don't know which one is going to win and which not, but do you, you envision that, yeah, there are going to be 10 different implementations of quantum computers, or do you think it's going to go down? I think it naturally will go down. And I think, like in any market, there will be a spate of mergers. Um, the question will be if the kind of players, you know, which are still technically startups, but really are scale-ups, will have sufficiently differentiated technology that they can survive without being acquired by a Google or an IBM or an Amazon. Um, that is very hard to predict and depends on the on the arc of the technology. Um, there I think there will be um, a kind of moment in two to three years time where for some players, the capital will, will run out and it will be about the quality of their IP portfolios and they will likely be acquired. Um, if you look back to the history of classical computing, um, it's not quite the same because it's, you know, based on the substrate of the chip, there's a, you know, a silicon one out in the end. Um, we don't really see germanium and silicon and five other different types of chips um, uh, winning. With that said, there is enough there is enough space for you know two, three, four, maybe five five competitors. I think. So, hardware aside, what else? I mean, we're at the um, final quarter of the year, and this is sort of prediction time. What would you predict for the quantum market in twenty twenty two or or even in twenty twenty three? Hmm. So, number one, the capital flowing into the space will continue to increase. Um, We've just, you know, when I first joined this market, we we're looking really at seed and series A rounds. We're now even getting into series D. Um, so I think that's going to happen. Um, there's going to be the mergers, as, as discussed. We've already seen Honeywell Quantum Solutions and Cambridge Quantum. I think there'll be more. Um, I think the main piece that's going to get important is as you get venture backed companies and with venture style boards depending on the investor type there's going to be increasing pressure on companies to alter their business models to manage the potential cash burn so you know you've seen it with um a number of companies that are pivoting away from pure hardware to make sure they have some kind of software offering um to be perceived as lower risk by vcs we might start to see um, more of that. We'll also see an increasing focus on end use cases. Ultimately, if you if you look at an investor presentation for a SPAC, so for Iron Key was the first one where you got a full investor presentation, the revenue number is predicated on usage of quantum computers, right? And usage of quantum computers is predicated on uh, useful end use cases. You know, there is absolutely lots of end users experimenting with quantum computers right now, but I haven't heard of anyone uh, consistently using a quantum computer to deliver real business business value. It's termed quantum advantage, as you know. There will be increasing pressure to go, well, what is the finance application I can do now? Or what is the life sciences application I can do in the next two years? And that's going to create, I think, quite a lot of pressure um, on the market. I think it's going to split the market into those who are 
the kind of business people pushing for things to happen as soon as possible and the scientists who are trying to get things right. I think it's a, I wouldn't say it's a dangerous dynamic. It's kind of how it happens in emerging technologies, but it's one where they will start to create more conflicts of, um, of interest for a company. And so, you know, companies will just need to manage how they, how they deal with that. Do you see the market more as a pull market or a push market? And let me under explain what I mean by that. Do you see that the enterprises are clamoring for quantum solutions and it's just that the hardware software vendors are not delivering fast enough? Or do you see a, a push market where the vendors have are, are basically saying, oh, we think that if we build it, they will come. And now I just need to convince a whole bunch of people to start using quantum. It's 100% a push market. Um, if you speak to most um, large corporate end users, you know, every morning they've got to get out of bed and deal with a house on fire, right? Everyone who works in a business, in business development or trying to build um, build out a large corporation, there's enough to get on with anyway. You've got to deal with it. Like people asking you about AI, you've got to deal with hitting your sales targets. You've got to deal with all the corporate bureaucracy every day. The last thing you'll be thinking about is, oh, how can I use a quantum computer to slightly optimize my internal process? With that said, that's exactly what it was like in the 60s. There was no one in the 60s asking, um, can I have a computer that will allow me to send um, an email across uh, to my colleague? Because you just hadn't thought about it. You know, you don't ask, you can't even imagine that you'd be able to do the stuff that we do today. And so the question is, right, but um defunct i guess because you know we will only know what we can do once we have useful quantum computers and and people just don't don't know how to think about that yet myself included would you expect in the next one or two years a major company to say publicly look we think that our prospects are much better because we have this cool quantum unique quantum technology that we developed in-house i mean you know, Amazon used to say that they've got this fantastic recommendation engine. And over time, they say, oh, we've got this uh, great logistics network. So something that actually drives their stock value. Do you see Quantum as a value driver for large companies or is that more five, 10 years away? I think what will happen is it will be the secret that sits behind a more commercial claim. So I think what will happen, let's say Amazon has got a crazily good quantum computer. The, the marketing will be, we are able to deliver um, computational power beyond what you've ever dealt with before. Quantum may be used as a marketing term, but really what people care about is the, is, is the end use case. In the same way that if BMW is, you know, found a quantum computer to make better batteries, um, or understand how to the, the materials that go into their cars better. Have a wild guess what they're going to be talking about. Sure, they may mention that it's done by a quantum computer, like in the same way that companies mention that they're innovative machine learning and does stuff. Um, but the thing that people will care about is is the the better battery or the better better materials. As we get closer to the end of our conversation, I wanted to ask you about the education piece. Um, there clearly is a shortage of people who understand quantum information science. Some companies like ours are trying to make it more accessible by uh, 
not requiring a PhD to write uh, quantum code. But obviously, there are a lot of universities that are opening uh, quantum tracks. Do you think there is a sufficient amount of good educational material? So if someone really wants to get into this industry, um, they can do it? Or, or is that still lacking? Um, I mean, there's plenty to go. I think over the last two or three years, I've seen some fantastic projects spin up. I know there are a number of organizations, yourself included, who work very hard to, to make quantum far more, far more accessible. Um, you know, just picking a few names off the top of my head, like, you know, Arath Elliott Kurika has been running fantastic uh, courses for people. There are universities now uh, providing master's programs. Um, so that there is resource out there. The reality is, is that a lot of people who interact with quantum computers won't need to understand how gate fidelity works or how error correction works. So I think the most important thing beyond education of the kind of pioneering workforce is the abstraction of what we're dealing with. So no one today who is a star full stack developer can go in and understand the gate operations of a class in their laptop. doesn't matter. Why on earth would they need to spend the time to do that when they have to deal with billions of gate operations? That is how it hopefully will be in quantum computing and that the early pioneers will have a full understanding of where you need to place a cryo-CMOS chip to make sure it operates. But in 10 years time, that's going to all be irrelevant. It will all be about what are the use cases that you can get out of this um, application that you access online in a web browser and what does it deliver for real world customers? So I think the, the educational part, there's so much more to go, but in a way that, you know, some of the stuff that we'll be learning over the next five years will quickly, quickly become irrelevant. Alex, how can people get in touch with you to learn more about your work? So um, the easiest way is to actually just email me directly. Uh, anyone who takes the time to, um, you know, introduce themselves and is passionate about the industry, I'll take the time to respond. So my my email is alex at thequantumdaily.com. Um, if there are people who want to understand more broadly about our business, then we have our contact details on our website. Um, broadly, you, you know, we cover the, the key news in the space and we provide support on media. We have um, built a robust data platform which collects all the inf open source information into an intelligence engine which allows people to understand the market and then when people have specific questions we can jump in and help on a, on a consulting aspect and so we're proud to have customers from all over the world working with us so if any of that's interesting we're very happy to, to have a conversation that's great thank you so much for joining me today no thank you and thank you for hosting such a fantastic podcast we need more people like you doing this and making sure people understand the industry. So thank you.